Welcome to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead on today's show, the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children says the state should be putting more resources toward early childhood programs like the Early Steps Program, which helps developmentally delayed and disabled infants and toddlers. The organization has some suggestions, and we'll have Louisiana Policy Institute for Children Executive Director Libby Sanye with us to talk about them. But first... On Monday, Tulane University amazed the nation when the school's football team won the 2023 Cotton Bowl, beating football powerhouse USC 46-45. The historic game is the Green Wave's first major bowl win since the Sugar Bowl in 1935. For more on that game, managing producer Alana Schreiber spoke with Tulane wide receiver Jaquan Jackson, whose 87-yard receiving touchdown tied the Cotton Bowl record. Here's their conversation. In 2021, Tulane went 2-10 in losses and victories. And then this year, you went 12-2. and That's an amazing comeback in just one year. So how did the team turn around so quickly? What made this year different? Just going back um, to the last year, going to a 10, you know, um, we had a lot of adversity uh, putting us back to um, pushing us to Alabama. Then the hurricane, hurricane destroyed a lot of houses and campus. So we had to relocate and everything so everything changed and everything being there for three months i think that's where everything started the brotherhood to, to lead up to this season and everything because we saw each other more and more each and every day everybody didn't go to their house and everything and we did everything as a team you know we went to um top golf we went to eat together we practice together you know the bus every day together back and forth and everything so it made us even closer you know it's amazing that we got it around for two and action 12 and two this year it's great, man. I can't even believe it, man. With I think Coach Fritz said that's probably the best turnaround in college football ever. Going into the Cotton Bowl, what was going through your mind and the minds of your teammates? USC is a football powerhouse, not to mention they boast this year's Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Caleb Williams. How do you prepare to face a team like that? Um, We found, we had a watch player to find out who would play at the uh, our championship game and everything. And, um, we found out when the time came and everything, we were happy. You know, we were just happy to be in a bowl since we didn't make it to a bowl. And just even more happy to be in a cotton bowl, you know, just playing playing in Jerry World, you know what I'm saying? The hospitality had all week and everything. But my mindset always the same uh, each and every game, no matter who we play, we treat every team like the big team, you know what I'm saying? We don't underestimate no team that we play. We always come with the mindset to, um, gotta we gotta play hard, you know, and just a lot of people look at the outside and be like, well, they're a big team, uh, might not win, but we don't do that. We just worry about Tulane and our staff and just keep going, you know? Yeah, well, let's die. Let, let's dive into the game itself. With just four and a half minutes left, Tulane is down 15 points. Then it all turns around. For anyone who missed the game, just walk us through what happened. What did you guys do? Just going back to halftime, Coach Frizz uh, put us to get uh, put us together and everything, and talked to us and um and told us we just got a wonderful quarter, you know. And Nate put it, Nate got everybody together too, and and prayed and just talked about how we're not leaving until we twelve and two, and we speak to, he speaking to exists and everything. All thing we did was believe, you know, we went back out there, had a better um third and fourth quarter, and we finished the game. You know, it, it was crazy because I was standing next to um Coach Frizz's son, West Fritz, and he was like. Wow, we need to get a sack, man. A safety, you know, a sack, which caused a safety in the end zone. Shout out to Patrick um, Jenkins and um, North Tallahassee and Nick Anderson finishing the tackle, you know. And after that, 
the momentum changed and like you just could look back and see our crowd just going wild. Well, of course, you caught this incredible 87-yard touchdown pass, which, by the way, is not even the longest pass you've received in your career. So can you just walk us through that play? Coach called a great play, you know, and O-line blocked well. Pratt threw the ball well to me, you know what I'm saying? And I caught it, and it's just amazing just seeing when I caught it. I, put, I, I turned the corner, and I saw Lawrence Keith block him, and I just put my jets on, you know. We're speaking with Tulane University wide receiver and Cotton Bowl winner Jaquan Jackson. Jaquan, I was actually watching this game while on a flight home to New Orleans on Monday. And all throughout the plane, people were watching the Tulane game. And I should mention, LSU was playing at the exact same time in the Rose Bowl, yet far more people were watching Tulane. I mean, you're from Louisiana. You know just how big the Tigers are here. Did you ever think that you'd see a day when more people are watching the Green Wave than the Tigers? What do you think that says? Nah, I never thought it would be like that, but um, all glory to God, you know, just us turning the season around and having everybody uh, rooting for us and everything and knowing that we're a Tulane is a football school now, but, you know, that is sure a great team and everything. And Tulane is a great team, you know, but we all appreciate it from the city to the mayor to the coaching staff to to the whole team. Like, we appreciate all the love, you know, and the fans, you know. And the one thing I want to say, shout out to the fans for staying when we was down 15, you know, and just sticking through the end, you know. I mean, what do you think it means that more people are watching Tulane football these days? What do you think that means for this university? Well, you know, it means, it means a lot, you know, just from the football standpoint, the other um, – other sports and everything, it shows that we we can do it, you know, and we just believe. And really, for I say, I, I really I really, really can speak about um, football part, you know. It it helps us and recruit more and everything, get, like, bigger players, you know what I'm saying, more four-star uh, players to, to come play for Tulane and uh, a great city and uptown, you know, and not too far from downtown, have fun when they get a chance and everything. But and have great food, seafood, gumbo, whatever, you know. And definitely get a great degree, you know. You go to a four-year and get a four-year uh, four four degree for 40 years, you know. We should mention that Tulane's victory wasn't the only major football news on Monday. During an NFL game, Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed on the field following a hit. He went under cardiac arrest and is still in critical condition. So when it comes to football, how should we weigh risk with reward? Is there anything we can do to make the game safer? Yes or no. Just play. Everybody know whoever, everybody who plays this game know there's a possibility of getting injured, you know, and we take that risk because we love it so much. And and I'm praying for Hamlet. I hope he make it through and everything. And I know I hold team praying for him and everything, but it just, you know, you never know what happened. It could be the wrong turn, the wrong move, but just go hard for a speed. You just can't stop yourself. It's, it's a dangerous sport that we play and we can try to to make it more safe, but I think it's impossible, you know. It just, it wouldn't be football anymore. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you think this means for the school's football program? What do you expect to see in the next few years following this historic win? The next few years, I would like, I think, we're going to keep it going, you know. It just, we, we, we put, you set a goal so high that we got to reach it. We just got to go to work, you know, in the offseason. I just, I talked to Mike Pratt last night. I told him, man, look, you got to go do it again. We're going to live this, we're going to live this, um, 
great moment right now. And then we're going back to work. We go back to school. You know, everybody had their time off and everything. We go back to school on January 17th. And time to go back to, you know, starting January last year, or starting January to this shit. So can't wait. And this is going to be, it's going to be hard, you know, we just got to keep going. Jaquan, before I let you go, what's next for you? You know, you're not just a football player and Cotton Bowl winner. You're an upperclassman and a communications major. You've got one more football season, then graduation. What's next for you? You never know. My coach might uh, do broadcasting like you. Um, well, journalism, you never know. Uh, when that time comes, I'll see. But hopefully, hopefully it's something, something great, you know. I love the kids. love being around the kids, helping the kids. I go to different schools and um, read books and play with the kids and try to inspire inspired them, you know, just I was in their shoes and showed them that and you just believe and do the right thing. You could be just like me or better than me. This has been Tulane University wide receiver Jaquan Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWN New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Louisiana's Early Steps program is a statewide effort to provide early intervention services to infants and toddlers from birth to age three who have developmental delays and disabilities. But Louisiana is enrolling fewer children into its program compared to other states. The Louisiana Policy Institute for Children says we're 20th in the nation in enrollment in early childhood intervention for children under age one, but we're 31st in the nation for ages one through three. LPIC says we could do better, and they've released a report outlining how to do that. With us to discuss this, we have Libby Sanye, Executive Director of the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. First, Libby, familiarize us with the Early Steps program and what it seeks to do for the youngest of children with developmental issues. Who is the target? What does it do? Sure. So Early Steps in Louisiana is a statewide program that provides early intervention services really to support infants and toddlers birth to age three with developmental disabilities or delays and and help support their families to really advance their development to the optimal, um, optimal way that we can. Early intervention services in Louisiana are are provided in accordance with the Federal Individuals with Disabilities Act that we oftentimes think of for children that are in the K-12 system, but that act actually does apply to our birth to three-year-olds as well. I see. And how long has the Early Steps program been in existence here in the state? Well, we could go way back into the 80s, <laughs> but I don't think we want to go way back in there. But what we know is back in the, in the mid-70s, when we really started to pay attention to individuals with developmental disabilities is when the law started to shift to make sure that we were providing them equal access to education and meeting their needs. And then as time went on, we started to learn more about little people and how they move and groove. And the name is not by accident. It's called early intervention because we need to intervene early. So if you think of maybe a young child that has chronic um, ear infections, they may have some speech delay and they might need to receive some speech therapy to help them catch up. You might think of a, um, a young child that's born with Down syndrome. We don't need to wait to really work with them until they get to school. We should work with them prior to school so that they're really set up for success, not only in school, but in life so that they can be the best version of themselves. You gave us some examples of issues children might have that would qualify them for this program. What is the constellation, the range of developmental delays or disabilities that children might have 
that would get them into early steps. Absolutely. So eligibility could be anything from a speech delay to maybe a motor delay. Maybe you're not walking um, during the developmental period you're supposed to be walking in. Maybe you have some social emotional issues, like it's hard to regulate your behavior when you're a particular age and learning how to express your wants and needs and those types of things. Um, it could be really mild, like a speech delay, like I mentioned earlier, or it could be a child that's born with a developmental chromosome deficiency and they need support to be able to get to their optimal development. Again, early intervention is about early. So we want to identify these little people as soon as we can. Um, and one of the issues that we've seen in, in Louisiana is that we just need to do a better job promoting early intervention and the early steps program in our state. So it's 20th and 31st in the nation. That's certainly not as bad of a ranking as a lot of things that Louisiana is ranked for. But LPIC says, nonetheless, we could do better. That's just a ranking of how many children are being enrolled, which I'm sure is an important metric. What are the areas with early steps where you see the most room for improvement? I mean, I think it, going back to the report that we did with the BUILD initiative, which is a national organization that helps support this report, um, and our Louisiana Department of Health Office of Citizens with Disabilities, you know, we want to make sure that we're enrolling the number of children that absolutely need the access to these services. And so we know that we're under-identifying these children. And when we're under-identifying them, we know that they can't enter into kindergarten ready to learn. Uh, and so, again, we want to make sure that these children are successful, not only in school, but in life. And so if you think about if we're under-enrolling in those first three years of life, it really, the data that we were able to gather through this report underscores the importance and the urgency of improving program enrollment. And I, and I have to give a huge kudos to the Office of Assistance with Developmental Disabilities at LDH. They do a fantastic job and a yeoman's job. Um, but many, many times they're on the chopping block for how we really service our children with developmental disabilities in the budget. And so, you know, we had some gains this last legislative session to say, you know, we really need to to think about how we're reimbursing the therapists who work with children and adults with developmental disabilities so that, that we one, we can enroll them. And once families are enrolled the process, um, that they're able to access the services that they need. We're speaking with Libby Sonnier, Executive Director of the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. We're talking about the Early Steps Program, the state's effort to help the youngest of children with developmental delays and disabilities. One of the ways you measure the success of the program is to compare who is using the services compared to who is eligible. How do you find out who is eligible? How do you get that statistic? How do you know of all the children that are born, young children in Louisiana, who has the conditions that you, you would target? Sure. So you have your birth rate data, and we know of our birth rate data, you have a certain percentage of children that will need um, intensive early intervention. And so you, you kind of back them out, and you know, you're going to serve those. And then you have other children that you know, just have like a little hiccup along the way, a developmental delay along the way that you can clean up. So we look at the percentages of that. And when you look at the report that we did with the BUILD initiative and the Department of Health, you'll see that we're, we're not meeting the mark. We need to serve more children. And I would say our Department of Health they want to serve more children. It's just, again, making sure that we're having a public awareness campaign, getting that information out there and making sure people know that they can rely on this program when they make a referral. And now let's talk about the report that LPIC has put out. It's talking about some suggestions for revising eligibility criteria, public awareness and marketing, better referral processes and screening. 
What are the policy changes that LPIC is suggesting? Absolutely. So if we think about um, the eligibility criteria, we really want to be able to expand the eligibility for early intervention to increase the number of infants and toddlers and families who are eligible to and participate in early intervention services. This doesn't have to do anything with income. This has to do with a child's um, developmental trajectory and if they're showing delays in certain areas. So we want to make sure that even if it's in one developmental area, that these children can have access to the supports and services that they need. But also at the same time, if we're going to enhance eligibility, we also need to develop an awareness and a marketing campaign. Um, you know, it must include the provision of information to parents on the availability of early intervention services that are really disseminated to all primary referral sources. Additionally, we need a marketing campaign to further be used to promote the importance of supporting developmental screening and referral, and that this isn't something to be afraid of. You know, no no little person is born with a playbook, not a one. And then you have a little one that has a developmental delay, and it doesn't have to be scary because there are people in the community that want to help support you and your family to, to reach your optimal outcomes and so that these little people can be the very best versions of themselves. And we have to be able to expand our outreach to referral sources. Um, if I think about our pediatricians, our babies are in and out all the time. And sometimes pediatricians will say, well, let's just wait and see. And we're of the, of the opinion based on science and evidence based. We don't need to wait and see. We need to go ahead and make the referral. And so developmental screenings can be done to make sure that we're linking families to services that they need for their young child. Hmm. A big part of this does seem to come down to referrals, making sure parents know that the help is out there in the first place. We're talking about a period in childhood before you know they're even getting to kindergarten or formal education where teachers might notice what their needs might be. Does this rely on doctors, pediatricians being aware of the program and referring them to early steps? And not all children necessarily frequently go to the, the doctor. I mean, is the doctor a big part of it? I, the physicians are absolutely a big part of it, but we know that many of our children, and I would say all children in the state of Louisiana, we know 67% of them have both or their single parent in the workforce. And so we know children are receiving, you know, early care and education. And so we have to really make sure we're doing outreach and awareness to our early childhood child care providers. And they're a wonderful resource for referrals as well. So again, not just thinking about our physicians, our pediatricians, primary caregivers, but also like where are little people in their day-to-day -day community? Because at the end of the day, we all have a network and we want to make sure that we have a net that works for families so that if they're concerned or just something's not quite right, they know where they can go to get the resources that they need. But also um, one of the things when you have somebody that refers to a program that we loop back to the referral source to say, hey, we got the referral. These are the things that happened. We're on track to link to services or, you know what, they didn't qualify, but here's the report let us see how we can help support you. So it's a twofold thing. It's not just all in the hands of the pediatrician, but it's also in the hands of the people that receive the referral so that the pediatricians know that when they make a referral, it's being taken and it's being acted upon. And you highlighted some areas where there is room for improvement. What successes have we had in the policy sphere? You mentioned earlier some things that came out of the legislature. 
Absolutely. So a number of years ago, we had to basically put a stay on the rates in which our providers, so occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, our special instructors, about the rate that they were going to get paid. It kind of got stuck for a number of years with no rate increase for over a decade. Um, this last year in the legislature, advocates in the developmental disability world advocated successfully to increase the rates we pay providers. Because much of what we see, anything that deals with young children, uh, we see that people are underpaid compared to adults, whether it's therapies, whether it's care. If you're a teacher, you're underpaid compared to counterparts that are in the K-12 world. And so when the legislature said young children with developmental disabilities, all individuals with developmental disabilities are valued because we need to make sure that the providers that are providing them service are being compensated at a level that we can maintain these providers. It was a, it was a big feat for the developmental disability community. Uh, I'll say this again, is if we think about young children in our state, if you look at what we spend in our budget for young children, it's about less than half of 1%. And so when you think about the state's budget, it really is, it's a value judgment on how and who we value. And so making these types of adjustments that happen within the, within the developmental disability community says, you know, we do value children. We do value all shapes, sizes, and abilities of children. And we need to make sure that we support the providers who support the families who support the little person. We've been speaking about the state's early steps program, the state's effort to help the youngest of children with developmental delays and disabilities. Libby Sanye is executive director of the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. Libby, thank you for being here today. Thank you. From WRKF and WWNO, this is Louisiana Considered. In Louisiana, we are still mourning the loss of Walter Wolfman Washington, the legendary local guitarist and singer who passed away in late December. He was a member of the band The Roadmasters and often collaborated with artists like Irma Thomas, Joe Crown, and Russell Batiste Jr. This week, we are paying tribute to some of his musical contributions. So before we go today, we'll take a listen to one of Wolfman's recordings from the last few years. Here he is singing Use Me Up, at the 2020 Virtual Crescent City Blues and Barbecue Festival.
And we've been listening to Louisiana Considered here on WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans. Thanks to our guests today, Tulane University wide receiver Jaquan Jackson and Libby Sanye, Executive Director of the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Purcell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health.